Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This week on The Kindness Project, we talk about football, Comic-Con, and we have part two of our interview with Mark Hall from First Step. Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, welcome to The Kindness Project. I'm joined by a man who's drinking a coffee that I made for him. It's really strong, it's really really strong and um i'm joined by a girl that is as strong as i'm joking on it i'm joined by a girl who um likes making the supermarket related puns in dungeons and dragons it's charlotte dames <coughs> and we're joined by the man the true legend of the kindness project the man behind the scenes <coughs> and the man who who actually saw tottenham lose uh, over the weekend, is Russ. How are we doing, Russ? I'm doing fine, thank you. Are you over the football yet or not? I am. That was quite high up in the uh, in the uh, London oh, Stadium. So Charlotte, it was funny when we got to the to the football stadium. We um, we went to listeners. We went to the London Stadium, which is um, in my eyes always going to be known as the Olympic Stadium because oh, that's, that's Queen where Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth oh, in Queen Elizabeth Park. But you know they call it the London Stadium now because it's up where it's downtown, stuff like that. And I said to Russ, the tickets that we got were quite high up in the gods. Um, what I didn't realise is literally it was at the top of the stadium. And I didn't realise how bad Russ's fear of heights was. So literally every time somebody stood up, I was just like, no! Stand down, I'm stand down. Um, and the funny bit was we was on um row of seats 74. So we were 74 seats up. Russ went, um, can we take the lift? The lift only takes you up to 34. So we still had 50 odd um seats to climb, didn't we? So yeah, um apart from the heights and the uh and the and the lift not going all the way, how did you do the football? I did. I really enjoyed getting back to live football. Yeah, it was good. What are you looking for? Unofficial question of the podcast. What are you um, looking forward to doing? Like, what now the world is a bit more. Well, open. you know what, run this uh, not uh, not this weekend. Um, the weekend just gone. Comic Con. Oh yeah, and you yeah. went. Tell us yeah. about Comic Con. It was, it was like there was reduced capacity. There was less like vendors there, and there was less stuff there, obviously because of COVID. I'm literally shivering at how strong that coffee is. <laughs> what? How many, cu- how many spoonfuls did you put in that coffee? Two. Oh, I usually do. Two? I usually do. Two spoonfuls no. of instant coffee? You know it's only meant to be one. No, it's two. I'm literally, I'm going to have to turn myself off the wall in a minute. It's so strong. Um, anyway, Comic-Con. Tell us about Comic-Con. Um, like the, and I, I always love the artists. I always love the arts. Yeah, yeah. It's my favourite bit. Um, other than the cosplayers, which is really good as well, the artists and the uh, all the stuff they're selling is always it. It will take you hours to get through, but honestly, it is well worth the time. Yeah, you know what? Independent art at Comic Con is always good, isn't it? I think it does give a really big showcase to independent, yeah. like sort of graphic artists 
are doing amazing work. So I, I absolutely agree with you. It's, it's yeah. brilliant. I mean, it wasn't as like spectacular as it usually is, but that's because obviously they reduced capacity. And you said they had a retro game section as well, didn't you? Yeah, it was just like you went and you asked if you could borrow a game to sit and play, and there was someone playing <laughs> Breath of the Wild, which was good. Not Breath what of the Wild. What do you mean borrow a game? Like they had a little desk where they had not uh, not Breath of the Wild. Um, it's the Zelda one with the talking boat and. Uh, I know. Okay, fair yeah. enough. A Zelda game. A Zelda but, game. So, what did that? They had consoles laying around, and you just borrowed a game and plugged it in. Yeah. Oh. And they had game cubes as well. Um, oh, I love the game cubes. Did they have a Commodore 64? That's what I'm worried about. I don't know. I don't know if anyone would bother the Commodore 64. How dare you? That is an ultimate game machine, isn't it? Okay. How long does it take the game to load? 25 oh, wow. minutes. <laughs> so would you four wait, days would you wait for 25 minutes bear in mind you've got five hours to do this entire convention would you wait 25 well, minutes the I'll right answer it. is depends on the game if it's a game that I know that I could play for hours definitely if it would I do it in the middle of a comic I'm not sure sensible world of soccer well, that was on the that was on the Amiga, Russ. That was I on played, the Commodore 64. I played the uh, 45 minutes in terms of how Well, I've got to tell you this story, right? Is it about I, the Afro? We all know about the Afro. What about it's the, the Afro? Moment <laughs> what? Sorry, what? What? What indication did you have that I was going to say to the about only, my Afro? The only problem I have with you in that Afro is you sitting in front of your Commodore 64. Oh, right, so okay. You, whenever you mention the Commodore 64, I think of that photo. No, funny enough, there is another photo knocking around somewhere. I think mum might have it of me when I was 17 with that afro. So same age age you are now, collecting my um, record of achievement from school. So collecting. um, But the problem with it was, was um, I also had a big green coat that was definitely not fashionable. (laughs) And for some bizarre reason... I hadn't taken my coat off to collect me a world. So I've got an afro and a big green coat. Funny it's enough, the, I remember that photo. Yeah, it's not the best look in the world, to be honest. Um, but let me tell you my let me tell you a story. Now, I don't think it's one I've ever ever shared on the podcast, uh, which is unusual two hundred. Is it is it one you've ever ever shared? Uh, you two will know if I've shared it. So let me tell it. About three years ago, I'm in a pub. Um, and it's a gaming bar in Stratford, and um, there's a a Christmas party going on, because it was around Christmas, I think, it was either 2017, 2018, I've been out for uh, drinks and friends, Uh, we ended up in this gaming bar, and there's a Christmas party for a gaming company going on in this gaming bar. Yeah. Have I ever told you the story? Uh, I don't think so, no. So, they're having a Christmas party, and what they've done is they've paid for some entertainment to come in and entertain this bunch of geeks, basically, at this Christmas party. So anyway, this guy walks in, this musician, Russ, and he um, he says, I'm going to play a few songs, some of them you'll know, some of them I wrote, um, and um, you'll love it. And a lot of his songs were, like, g- gaming music and covers of music and games right um and then he went i am going to play you the song that i wrote um and that i'm most famous for 
And we're going, oh, I wonder what that is. What, what game's that going to be from? And it, it was a song called Goal Scoring Superstar Hero from Sensible World of Soccer. But Russ is nodding. <laughs> Nobody on the podcast can see it. Yeah. They, had a, they had the song for the game that just went, I'm a goal scoring yeah. superstar hero. I'll get my head down and play with it. I, don't, I can't even remember the words, but it's amazing. YouTube it, goal scoring superstar hero. And he did a live version of goal scoring superstar hero. Do you know they've converted that sensible world of soccer for the Windows 10? Have they? Yeah. I was, look- I was looking at down home there on Spain. Don't be ridiculous. Why would we? Why would we? Download it for Windows when I've got it on an emulator. Um, I don't need to. Um, anyway, anyway, we have gone super geeky this episode, and we need to get on to um, question of the podcast, which is, what is next on your bucket list? Now, clearly, Ras has ticked off, go really high in the football stadium of his bucket list. Uh, Charlotte sits off, get back to Comic Con on her bucket list. I need to I need to create a bucket list to tick things off of first. Well, I, I mean, I don't know whether the concepts of bucket list is, you know, everybody's got, but everybody's got something that they would love to do, which is next on their list. So what's your what's on your old Russ? My my next one on my list, I, I spoke to you about it a couple of weeks ago. I want to visit the Eden project. It's good. It's and good. Uh, that, that's top of my list of things to do next year. The Eden Project is amazing. I particularly like the gym bar at the end of the Mediterranean um, yeah. uh, dome. I don't, uh, think yeah. I'll be, I don't think I'll be trying that. I don't really drink, but I will definitely be enjoying some of the... Uh, well, after the, after the inside my mouth has been taken off by this coffee, I don't think I'll be drinking ever again. <laughs> um, what's, what's on the top of your list? Um... I'm going away this week to Brighton. Yeah. Um, so it'll be my first holiday without parents or teachers. Party! No, you're not going to party hard, are you? Well, you might party hard. I'm going to take, take two books with me for four days. <laughs> you might party hard with a cup of tea and a couple of books, but yeah, all good. I tell you, what, I feel like I'm part, partying hard drinking that coffee. <laughs> Honestly, um, and my next, I don't know, I've, I've, I, I think the next thing on my bucket list is um, uh, what challenge, physical challenge, I'm going to take on next, and I'm yet to decide. I don't know whether it's going to be an international marathon or a half marathon, uh, doing it somewhere else, doing it in a different country. You were in I have done barriers, but I'd like to probably do New York. That Somebody one, sent me a link to the Reykjavik half marathon in Iceland. That was Alex and Hogan, wasn't it? Hmm. That looks interesting. Yeah, so so that 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 might be on my on my list. Um, uh, but I I also want to do the three peaks, which is the three largest mountains in the UK um, in a day. So um, if I can get a crowd of us to do that, that might be. I will not be doing it. No. No, no, never. So your ones go to the Eden Project. Your ones go to Brighton. My ones climb up three big mountains in a, in a day. Uh, listeners, we'd love to hear what your next uh, thing you'd like to aspire to do. The next thing you want to take off your bucket list and you believe in bucket lists. Um, and you can get in touch with us using the following resources. <sighs> 
on Twitter, we're at Olo Finest. On Facebook, you can type the Kindness Project into the search bar. We should come up. Same applies for Google. Our email is Olo at thekindnessproject.co.uk. Please do not try and look us up elsewhere. You might find some chaotic results. Ta-da. Uh, did we miss anything, Raz? The website? Uh, website, www.thekindnessproject.co.uk. But I did mention Googling it, so I thought that would suffice. But... Uh, yeah, and we're all over the show. And we are... Uh, again, thank you for everybody who's, who's uh, listening to the Kindness Project uh, at the minute. We are posting some amazing numbers, uh, and we'd love to hear from more of you. So feel free to get in touch. Um, you know, so send us your stories of kindness. Send us what's going on in your world. Um, we love to communicate with our audience. Don't we, Russ? We do. Could he have said that less enthusiastically? I'll give you another go, Russ. Try it, firstly, try it really enthusiastically. We love to communicate with our uh, listeners, Russ, don't we? Yeah, brother, we love it, man. <laughs> yeah, brother, we love it, man. What was that? Right, and now I want you to try it really uh, unenthusiastically. Russ, do we like to communicate with our listeners? Yeah. <laughs> not even a word not even a word yeah. just the sounds oh um, alright let's get you can see his eyebrows prepping for it as well like I know the listeners can't but I was sitting there watching his face and his eyebrows just how did you do an eyebrow prep for unenthusiasm I don't know a bit, a, a bit like that let's move on to the next part of the show which is as ever is and we're going to have a um, oh. and we're going to have a um, <laughs> we're going to have an argument at the minute because you just sort of like bit, uh, made too much of your part um, and that's kindness news teen edition um, when, when the pandemic started back in March 2020 Sebi Hall gave his iPad to, to a friend so they could see. It became his first random act of kindness, and he's been doing them every day since. The 18-year-old has walked neighbours' pets, uh, walked gardens. I thought I was going to go walk with neighbours' pets and walked gardens. Mm-hmm. Walked neighbours' pets, walked gardens, posted mail for is- uh, isolated locals, uh, washed cars and baked cakes for nurses. He's handed out PPE, collected unwanted Halloween pumpkins, turn them into soup and pies for needy people and give them warm coats for the homeless. The team has also handed out lottery tickets, bought with his pocket money to strangers, given 100 roses to 100 women to make them smile and helped at food banks. Along the line, he's also raised £28,000 in donations, which is given to countless charities. The money has paid for 300 families to get adapted to IT services, funded the disabled rugby team, Paid for three IT suites for young people, uh, bought communication kits for kids at four specialist schools, and set up a disability art art hub. Sebi, who has learning difficulties and a rare chromosome anomaly, has done at least one thing every day, completing more than 1,600 in total. He was inspired by his proud mum, Ashley, uh, who asked him to think about what skills he could use to raise cash. He had one simple answer. I can be kind. Oh, I love that. Sebi from Litchfield, Staffordshire, the kindness is my superpower. I'm not stopping. I want to raise more money and make more people happy. Um, that is absolutely amazing. 
Mum actually, a drama teacher, said it's hard for any young person to go up to random strangers and speak to them. And even harder for Sebi because he feel he finds it really hard to find the words himself. But somehow he found the inner strength of being kind. It's given him a position within his own community and a confidence that he didn't have before. What he's done is absolutely incredible and has a real impact on society. I suppose that's one of the things that, you know, you know we, we've talked about in the podcast a lot. You know, the kindness is practical. It isn't an esoteric like, concept. It's st- stuff you can actually do to help people. Um, uh, initially, when, when his school co- closed, Sebi was upset not to be able to speak to a friend who didn't have a laptop over video calls. And that's the way he offered up his, and then his mum suggested he might help more people by raising money to buy more than one device. Um, Seb started with 10 sponsored acts of kindness every single day for 10 days and raised a thousand pounds. He bought his friend a device at the end of the 10 days, but he continued, uh, enjoyed watching other people smile and he just wanted to carry on. Um, just amazing stuff, Sebby. Well done. Well done, Sebby's mum, for inspiring. Uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant work. Um, we should have more people like Sebby in our world uh, because it would be a better place, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm, definitely. And then let's move on to uh, the second part of our interview. Uh, it's with Mark Pauls from First Step. Um, as we know, and if you haven't listened to the first part of the interview, make sure you do that, uh, listen to that from last week. Um, uh, Mark and uh, his team at First Step do amazing work um, helping children in the Haverham community. So definitely, definitely, definitely um, uh, check that out and let's listen to the interview. And one of the challenges that there are from very early on is that they're meeting with people who want to tell them what they need to do, yeah. um, tell them what's right, what's wrong, what will work, what won't work, and nobody listens enough. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and that's what we do, is we, we seek to listen. And people often tell us, um, and it's been going on for 30, nearly 33 years, so there must be some truth in it with successive different staffing teams over that period of time, is that First Step has a little bit of fairy dust. and somehow finds the way of uh, sprinkling that into the situation and and yes you're right is that people do when they've arrived in Holland and they get used to it Holland's never going to be Italy it's different and the pace of life may be a bit slower and there may not be gondolas, but perhaps there's fields of uh, daffodils. And, and and perhaps in time, you start to appreciate some of the benefits of uh, of what um, uh, Holland, Holland, gives. Holland offers. However, it will never, and I'm just, I've got it here, it will, um, and the pain will never, ever go away because the loss of that dream is a very significant loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. what we we do is that we're not trying to put, we're not trying to give platitudes to people that says, you know, look on the bright side, it could have been worse, or this. What we're actually is we are recognizing that pain and we are working with them in the pain to actually, and, and they are that the, the, the parents, the families, 
are just so aggressively protected of their child, which yeah. is, is wonderful to see. <laughs> yeah, and, well, it's, um, a, it's a bond of love regardless of yeah. where the kid is, isn't it? You know, <laughs> it is. um, I, spo- I suppose the other thing is that adaptation and recognising that it is different. <laughs> Um, I mean, personally, I like Holland. I think Holland's an amazing country. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah. uh, but uh, recognising that difference um, takes time. So but I suppose yeah. the question the question that springs to mind is, typically, do you work with the families all the way through till the kids are five? Or is it does it stop yeah. and start? How does it work? But that, that varies depending on the services we can, we're offering. But I have to tell you, I can't say this too loud because we're not under the terms of our lease supposed to do this. Um, but actually, you never leave from first step. Mm, um, the work that carries on is much more relational so yeah Yeah. we're we're effectively naught to five and what we do is we we work to get to 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 do ourselves out of a job because we're looking to maximize what we can do we know that if we can the the biggest impact we can have is to uh, enable the families to regain control of their family because at the outset they feel so it all feels so out of control and and they say to us you've made such a difference to me you've you've done this for my family that for the family we say who we have your child here perhaps for a couple of hours a week who has them the rest of the time who's the person that's up in life and so we, we we work with that so it's intensively i suppose there's a couple of different levels i mentioned that some come before very few some come after about four months then from about 11 12 months onwards we start to get a trickle of children coming in who have got social communication difficulties because the parents are spotting that yeah they, they recognize it if they get older Uh, And then you start to pick up some with uh, global development delay and things like that. So they're coming into us on an ongoing basis. Um, Generally, um, I suppose the peak time for for kids coming in is around about 15 months. Um, Sometimes it's longer. I was talking to a, a dad last week and he had got a daughter who is fairly clearly she's definitely got social communication difficulties and will almost certainly be diagnosed as autistic and he said that that they for quite a long while didn't really want to admit the problem that they were you know people saying oh they grow out of it they're just difficult strong-willed and things like that and the sadness is for us is when they are not with us from that length of time that they've carried that pain and loneliness on a lot further and I talked to dad and dad's a very successful person in business and I said to him I said how does it feel for those changes and to the fact that you're you're very unlikely to have an Oxbridge child now and he said yeah he said we had to come to terms with that because as parents we've all got such ambitions for our kids aspirations yeah and and so what we what we start to do and you've already alluded to this Chris is that um what we we talk about is sometimes we we use the phrase that the children achieve their potential but that's quite hard because I'm never quite sure how you measure measure potential but what we talk about is is children achieving meaningful outcomes so for them that they're they're hitting through to something that life is manageable the child is content is happy of course 
there'll be meltdowns and problems like that along the way. And, and that journey with us continuing to support them, walking alongside them, can go on for as long as is necessary. And quite often, you know, we will... Well, I mean, it was, I think it was the year before last. It's hard because with lockdown, we lost two years, really, haven't we? Yeah. have disappeared. But, but she came in and uh, the son had been with us and he was now uh, 19 and he had just transitioned from children's services to adult services. And mum came back to us and she said, I've got such problems trying to sort my way through this. And I thought, if there's one lot of people that can help me, it's first step. And, and came back in because that relationship still stands yeah. Yeah, no, no. So, I mean, I suppose the other thing is as well is part of the part of the process for parents. And as you say, kids are with you, I know, two hours a week, uh, yeah. or maybe a bit longer, but probably not the majority of the time. Um, I suppose part of it is educating parents yeah. to do the right things. So, talk to me about how that happens at first step. Okay, so um, um, our, the entrance in to, um, to our work comes through our what we call family services. And um, so it would start off initially with Debbie, who is uh, my amazing early years work leader, um, family support leader. And she would do a one-on-one -on -one interview with the parent and the child. And um, to just try and get an understanding, to seal, to feel, to understand, and to get to know the child and the mum and dad. Often the parents are very worried because the child's active, noisy, um, uncooperative. And um, that's probably the time that a little bit of fairy dust first gets sprinkled, because I think in 90% of all first visits, um, Debbie manages to do something with the child that the parents have never seen happen before. And um, um, I mean, I come from a training background and have done some behavioural training. And what we always used to say is that um, there's four steps to learning. One is to see that it can actually be done. Second step is to break it down into its component parts so it's replicable. Then the third step is try. And then the full step is practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. So what, what we are seeking to do from the off is not to wow the parents such that they feel even more inadequate yeah, yeah, than they yeah. did in the first step. It is to say, well, yeah, I mean, I saw um, that, uh, let's say, Harry came in and he immediately went for the blue car. He wasn't interested in anything else other than the blue car. Debbie will hone into that and be saying, well, why the blue car? There's something about it. So she will use that potentially as a motivator. If they yeah. like noisy toys, she'll use the noisy toys. Okay. And, and what we're perhaps seeing is sitting in from the outside, we see things that the parents don't realise. And highlight it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then so what we're looking for in those early stages is what are the triggers to meltdown and problems and what are the motivators? And now you're yeah. on your way because, you know, yeah. we all know that, um, you know, if we want to get a kid, one of our kids in the car uh, or grandchildren, that um, it's a hell of a lot easier if they know they're going to McDonald's than if you're taking them somewhere they don't want to go. Yeah, it's so about managing the environment, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, and, yeah. and, and making sure that you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're in a position. It was funny because um, I'm not normally a big McDonald's fan, okay. but, um, but I, I went for, when I was training for the marathon, I went for a long training run and stopped at 
Uh, I mean, it was it was my longest one. It was 22 miles. Right. Um, and stopped at mile 19 for a McDonald's banana milkshake. Okay. Literally the best banana milkshake yep. I've ever had, Mark. Because yeah, I sure think it, it might have been the 19 mile run before, to be honest. <laughs> and I bet um, you took it down in one gulp, didn't you? Well, look, I, I'm, I'm, I, the excuse that I'm using is that I needed the uh, I needed the sugar. Yeah. Um, and um, I've probably burnt quite a lot of calories, so I could probably afford to, to have a banana yeah. milkshake. So. It, that's all good. Now, what I loved uh, when I was doing the research for this interview, and I, look, I, I mean, full full disclosure to everybody listening to the podcast, uh, uh, I've been to see the work that Mark does. Um, I've been into the venue, the, the, seeing those kids develop, learn, and grow face to face. And as you say, Mark, how challenging it can be for both the parents and the people teaching kids was a um, it was inspirational. It was an amazing thing mm. to see. Um, and I think, you know, what you've done on, on your website is highlight some of those stories. So talk to me a little bit about uh, the story that you think best describes your, the work you do or one of the family stories that effectively you think, you know what, that shows um, the impact we make to families' lives. Yeah, it, it, it's difficult because you've seen that there's 19 on the website and yeah. a lot of those are now about to be updated. I'm get, I think I, if I can share two with you, because it yeah, will show sure. a couple of different points. Um, one is very selfish and self-indulgent because I hadn't long been at first step. Uh, and it was in, I started on the 20th of April and in, it was a, there was a half-term holiday in May and all of the early te years team were on holiday and a parent arrived at the door with their parent, with their child in their arms for an appointment that hadn't been properly logged. So the choice was that either we sent her away or she had to content herself as being with the oily rag rather than the engineer. <laughs> right. so, so we went for that op option, and um, and it, and it, it, his uh, his story is on the website. I mean, it's, I think you're doing yourself down. I mean, like you turned up smarter than most of our interviewees. I wouldn't call yourself an oily rag, Mark. I think, uh, <laughs> well, I a lot think... of people have called me a lot worse. <laughs> 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 anyway, so this was um, Little Owen, and he's now he's on the he's on the website. You can read his story on there. He was he's now actually um, I think he's coming up to seven. Uh, no, yeah, about seven. And um, he was tiny tiny lad. He was about two at the time. Uh, 20, 21 months, I think he was. And he was on Mum's hip. Um, he was being investigated for dwarfism. Um, because he was so small but he also had no muscle tone um, so he couldn't be sat down because if he sat down he would just topple over and mum was um, they, they had no real answer to to what the what the condition was so lots of diagnosis going on and um, and uh, mum came in and I'm sure that she wouldn't mind me saying this. Well, she wrote it in a story, so I, I, you know, she said it publicly. Was that we had this conversation, and she laughed a bit, she cried a bit, she laughed a bit, and she cried a bit. And she said that in that 45 minutes that we spent together, she expressed fears, hopes, disappointments that she had never articulated to anybody before. Yeah. And so that that's that's a little bit of fairy dust that goes on 
and um it goes back to what you said about just being listened to yeah you know somebody to just say you know we understand you know and we want to understand how you're feeling yeah and she was clutching owen sitting on her hip and um he he was interesting he wasn't badly behaved lovely little lad um piercing uh, uh back back then he had blonde very blonde hair piercing blue eyes gorgeous young man and um mum said to me she said but we don't need first step right um we can look after him himself and actually we believe that we can look after him better than anybody else and i said i totally agree there's nobody better than the parents to look after i said but even though you don't want to use our service while you're here let's just take you on a walk around and it was it was harder because the building was empty um and we took him into one of the playrooms and um we uh i said to mum i said well why don't we sit him down on the carpet and prop him up with some cushions and that was so fortuitous um, because we sat him down and uh, you probably don't remember but in the middle of the playroom there's a big mat and there's a circle of animals around it right. and Owen sat down and he, he looked around the room showing great interest in it and then he spotted an elephant right. around the circle and he launched himself towards the elephant her mum said to me, she said, hmm, she said, I guess I'm not right. Owen has decided that he does want to be here because right. of stimuli here that aren't, isn't outside. And, um, you know, that was the the start of an amazing day. And I, for, I, can't, I can't meet Owen, and I still see him from time to time, without reflecting back to that day and how, on the surface of it, I mean, mum had taken a three-year leave of absence to look after the son from work. She never went back to work in the end. Um, she was totally devoted. She was a wonderful, caring mum with him. And um, mum just became part of a, a community of people. And um, you did, did you ever watch the, um, the Breakfast Mums video on our website? Yeah, much that okay. really good. Well, yeah. She's one of those mums right. and was the one of the spontaneous leaders. And um, Owen is at mainstream school now. He's walking, he's talking. Um, there are some issues there which still run through, but um, you know, it normalised the situation for the family yeah. and um, and made life so much easier for the whole family. And a mum to this day, she's moved away. She lives in a. Uh, Colchester now but she's still an avid supporter in the golf day program where we use some of these stories she rewrote the story for Owen and you know he's now I mean one interesting point there is is a parent saying well look I think we're going to do this on on your on our own we don't think we need your help do you think there's a reticence particularly with kids who 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 use the services of step um the parents of kids who use your services to want to do it themselves and do you think people you know what, what what's your impression of that what, what i would say to you on that chris is that we know that there is a significant number of people whose first visit to first step comprises of getting in their car driving to first step coming through the gates driving around the car park and back out and we don't see them for another four months right Okay, because coming to first step and 
accepting help from First Step means that you're passed through a the first of many gates, hoops, whatever you want to call it, yeah. and you've acknowledged to yourself, which is the biggie, that I there is help. something that you need that they need help. Yeah. So, and then I think the question is, is that when you're when you've got an extremely vulnerable child, can you trust anybody else to look after yeah. them? Most of these um, families, the child has never been with anybody else yeah. Yeah, in the yeah. whole of their life. So, so they're actually holding on to that child and saying, "Do I trust you?" Yeah. Can you yeah, look yeah. after him? Can I leave him? And and which is why when we took when we I mean the all the early sessions, all the family support is done in family support groups. So the parents are there with the child. Yeah. And what we're seeking to do is model behaviors. Yeah. There's some people who are a little bit further along the road and they've got they can share their experience. Um, there's other people who are just coming through the door and extremely nervous. And so there's an awful lot of peer support that goes on. Gotcha. And, um, you know, people make lifelong friendships. So I yeah. don't think they're being mistrusting. I don't think they're being, I'll do it my way. I can do it better. I think there's a lot of fear and, you know, this feeling of can I entrust yeah. my child to somebody else? Yeah, and, it, and, and for us, it's the children that make the decision. Um, yeah. because um i mean i when i i'm going a bit off subject here forgive me but when i came for interview at first step i think it was a real godsend that my second interview was at 9 30 so i was sitting in reception when the children arrived and right. i had two burning questions in my mind my wife's comment to me was you can't work with under fives you'll tread on them and squash them uh, as being one thing and the other thought i had in my mind was I wonder if it's going to be miserable work right. with disability. And as I sat there, I saw kids coming across the playground. Some were carried, some were being pushed in chairs, others were dragging themselves along using a walking frame. And as they were arriving outside the door, they were throwing their coats off with great smiles on their face because they had arrived. And I, I saw that first step was a place of joy yeah. for both the parents um, and the child. And it. Um, it was great because I actually had to change my presentation. And, um, and it was fortunate that one of the slides I'd used was one of Stephen's, Stephen Hawkins' comments, which is where there's life, there's hope. Yeah. And I think that, that that's where it works. So I don't think they're being unrealistically protective. I just think they're being incredibly responsible. Yeah, I understand. That's the second part of the uh, uh, first step interview with Mark Calls. There will be a third part because mm -hmm. we just chatted forever, basically. Yeah, that's it's been a recurring theme. I know. But uh, you know what? It's part of the reason I love doing these podcasts because you start having conversations about one thing and then it just expands to a, a broader and wider conversation about life in general, about you know uh, people's interests and why they do what they do, and and it, it's always good to do that. So yeah, Mark's a very interesting guy. So great to chat to him. And now it's your favourite bit of the show. Don't milk your part. Don't milk your part. Go on. In. But the end is never really the end because the end is always the beginning of something entirely new. Uh, and this week, it's the answers to the last week's question podcast, like it is every other week. I said, don't mill your part. 
And what did you do? And you milked your butt. Yeah, God, you milked a cow's butt there. Now I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two more chances because I gave Rats a chance, and so now I'm going to give you a chance. Um, firstly, do it as enthusiastically as you can. I think I already said that. <laughs> <laughs> more enthusiastic. Okay, alright. Here's the end of another podcast, but the end is never truly the end ooh, ooh. because the end. Don't grab me, leg. Why are you grabbing me, leg? <laughs> I, need, I need balance, my enthusiasm. I said enthusiastic. No, well, that's weird. She's grabbing me, in there. She's grabbing me, there. She's doing it. Then, oh. Yeah, so so we've had enthusiastic. That requires a knee grab, apparently. <laughs> and let's do uh, as unenthusiastic as possible. Off you go. Right, it's over. <laughs> uh, Tis the end, I guess. Tis the end. It's all done now. But let's do last week's question of the podcast. And last week's question of the podcast is oh, apparently Sophie, who's just walked into the room, can do an unenthusiastic Tis the end. Let's hear it. I don't even know if you ever heard that. No. Just read Tis the end. Um, anyway, last week's question of the podcast is um, what cultural icons? From the history, uh, should all uh, kids learn about? Uh, Martha Lawson on Twitter said, this is retro, but Buster Keaton was born 126 years ago, and he is still amazing. Now, Buster Keaton was a stuntman who effectively... Just you showed me the videos. Did, 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 did um, no, he's not alive because he'd be 126, wouldn't he? Um, uh, did all his own stunts and was like just the superstar of um, Silent just a bit Cinema. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that I love about Buster Keaton so much is as a three year old child, he learned his trade by his mum and dad slinging him about on stage, um, which was uh, amazing. Um, we had loads from Facebook. John Cook said um, every kid, kid should learn about the carry on films. Lauren Sweeney said um, uh, Dell and Rodney from Only Fools and Horses um, and uh, on the buses. Um, Eve Keith said Rick Mail. I'd teach every kid about Rick Mail. Victor Sack said, Inspector Clouseau and Kato. Have you ever seen a Pink Panther detective film? Pink Panther? Yeah. Uh, uh, no. Look them up. They're brilliant. Genius. Larry Knight records every, every child should uh, learn Tintin. We have a bit of Tintin. I've did that. I love a bit of Tintin. Samantha Strong said, uh, Rainbow. Zippy, George and Bundle. Uh, Alma McCann said Oliver Postgate, and I don't even know who that is, so I have to look that up. Um, Roberta White said um, uh, 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 the Rolling Stones, um, and that's the mother-in-law, so she loves a bit of the Rolling Stones. Lisa Scott said Mr. Ben. Jeff Hilliard said Only Fools and Horses. Steve Stan said any cartoon from the 60s or 70s. Tom and Jerry, Bugs and Daffy, Hong Kong Furry. Glenn Mays said Laurel Hardy, Charlie Chaplin, The Three Studies, Stooges, The Marx Brothers, Abbott and Costello, uh, or any slapstick I got comedy. a bit confused by The Marx Brothers because I was thinking Karl Marx? No, no, no. Karl and his brother Steve Marx, the less famous Marxist. Well, <laughs> um, sorry that I know more about... Uh, uh, communism than comedy. <laughs> oh, the Marx Brothers are amazing. Uh, Sergeant Connington said, 
Mark Mulkamawise and the Peanut and Charlie Brown cartoons. Joe Jones said Harold Lloyd. Ian Frazier said Ben Hill. Uh, Coral Knight said Mulkamawise. Alison Charles said Bill and Beth of Flowerpot Men. I mean, the funny thing is, you can tell how old people are based on what they mm -hmm. think kids should learn today. Mm -hmm. Dave Forsdyke said all kids should learn about the heavy metal band Iron Maiden. <laughs> That's um, fair. 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 The, the two Ronnies, member Hayden Badley and Lenny Henry. Stuart Minder said, every child should know about Mohammed Ali. Actually, that's a good shout. And Robert, Robbie Bowles said, every child should learn about Lauren Hardy. And on that note, that, my friends, is the end of another podcast. Um, have a lovely uh, week. We'll see you next week on The Kindness Project. And Russell, before we go, I want your most and least enthusiastic bye. Bye. Was that your most enthusiastic? That's how I feel. <laughs> well, give me your most enthusiastic. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from Ooh. me. Oh, it's now. goodbye from me. It's been Ronnie Barker now. Maybe, give me your least and then your most. Bye. <laughs> Bye. And your most. <laughs> No, then oh. you're putting pressure on me. Oh, 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 I'll do mine, and then we're going to finish, like she's not under enough pressure already, with Charlotte's most enthusiastic <laughs> buy. Oh, My least enthusiastic buy is... Um... Buy. <laughs> and my most enthusiastic buy is... I'm just shouting in my podcast for two years. Sorry about that. No, that was just my most shouting. Let me try. <laughs> I think I think that shocked Charlotte. Yeah, she just had a complete because I just shouted bye. Bye! That was my most aggressive goodbye. Just imagine doing that in real life. Bye! Um, right, let me try to use this again. Goodbye. That was like a child's entertainer. I don't know what's going on. And on that note, we are going to end with the most enthusiastic goodbye. The pressure is on now. Don't feel yeah. it. Um, uh, go on, give me a goodbye. See you later.